All right. Good evening. Good night. Good morning. Whatever order of the world that you're in. Hope it's uh, doing okay out there. Thanks for listening to the Android Central podcast. This week, we've got Jerry Hildenbrand. What's up? Got Michael Hicks returning. I'm back. And then we got Tom Meyer on for the first time. Hello. And Jerry uh, (laughs) astutely pointed out that we have Tom and Jerry on this podcast, which makes me happy since that was probably one of my favorite childhood cartoons. Did you root for Tom or Jerry? That's a good question. I don't know. I I think it was just always fun to watch them do stupid stuff. It's like watching Wile E. Coyote. You just, you got to wait for the next dumb thing to happen. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. All right. So we're going to start this week talking about Stadia. And it's kind of weird because nothing really major has happened with Stadia in, in a while. But we had a couple requests to talk about it. And it would be kind of fun to just go through how it started, what it was supposed to be, basically. And then what happened once Google became Google, as they tend to, and maybe what's going to happen with it in the future. So we'll just go ahead and jump right into the beginning. Uh, If you do not know what Stadia is, it's supposed to be, I guess, sort of Google's console, right? It's not a console in the traditional hardware form. It's just a cloud-based type of thing. You need to buy a Stadia controller. The controller then connects to Wi-Fi to the server that's running your game. You then use a Chromecast or some other device, maybe a phone, and that's how you see your game. It then acts like it's running on your device that you're playing it on effectively, as long as you have a decent internet connection. So I think from the beginning, that was always the hurdle of Stadia. And, you know, it's not the first cloud-based gaming service that's ever come around. You've had several before it. You had some that were uh, way ahead of their time and have died because of it. And in sort of the same way, Stadia is is kind of falling out in a way that we don't see with some of these other cloud streaming services that have had more of a slow rollout, maybe a slow buildup. You have NVIDIA's one. You have um, Microsoft's Xbox online gaming service that they, you know, sort of started doing Game Pass first, and then they kind of rolled it into xCloud and you have that whole dynamic behind it. Whereas Stadia, Google kind of debuted it as this big, huge thing. We're going to make this a big deal. We're going to put a ton of money behind it. They had the talent behind it. They had Jade Raymond and, you know, a bunch of other big names in the industry that people were like, wow, maybe Google's actually serious about this. This is pretty cool. And then, well, I mean, I guess over the last two years, it really hasn't been what we expected. And well, it depends on if, your expectations. Well, I mean, going into it, you know, I think a lot of us saw from the get go. We're like, OK, well, this is this is a Google product. OK, we know what happens to Google products that don't do well. And we know how quickly Google is at abandoning these sorts of things. So there was a lot of um, I, I think expectations were set in that regard from the beginning. But then you also had the side of it where, like I said, you had Jade Raymond. You had a lot of these other factors into play. They launched a year before the PS5 and the the new Xboxes. There was a lot of potential there for Google to possibly do this well. So I don't know if if you have any comments, uh, specifically, Tom, on sort of how Stadia started and and maybe what your hopes were for the platform. I mean, it certainly had like lofty goals because it's basically google like google has a billion servers and they're like oh we're just gonna 
push a video game right to your computer, right to your TV or your phone, uh, just through your inter- just through the internet. And um, I mean, that was always going to be a hurdle because it depends on your internet connection. But then, of course, what you said, you know, with Google, like <laughs> they had they had to commit behind it, but then they kind of didn't. Right. And I, I also thought it was interesting. You know, I'm, I was going through a bunch of the Stadia articles that um, a lot of them you wrote because you're sort of our local Stadia expert. Right. Yeah. And we have like our everything you need to know that kind of shows how it started and all that. And, you know, in here we talk about how Stadia was prematurely launched. Um, it really wasn't ready. It was it was still in beta. I think it kind of follows that old Google mantra of it's perpetually in beta until we finally decide one day that it's not. But Google pushed it too fast. So you had the the execs that were pushing for them to get it released. And I think it was probably because they saw the next-gen consoles were coming out next year. They wanted something ready to go when those were available so that they could you know, have the, the support behind it, the software behind it, and all that. But seeing that it was pushed out ahead of time and and just kind of wondering... Was that part of the problem too in the beginning? You already had that little bit of distrust because of Google's history of abandoning products. And then you, you know, lump that in with, oh, well, this only works with this Chromecast and this only works if you have good internet connection. And there were so many little caveats that you had to to avoid. I mean, even on Pixel phones, we didn't have a Stadia app for, I mean, how long was it? Was it a year? I mean, it was a long time, was it not? Well, it wasn't designed for phones. I mean, in but in their it in their de- initial reveal, they they talked about how you know the whole point of this thing, right, was that well, you could play it on everything. You're overthinking it. The whole point of this thing was to sell more Chromecasts and make Google money. <laughs> That's every Google initiative is purely designed to make money, just like every other company, and they wanted to sell more of those 4K Chromecasts. And this was a good way to try. I don't know if it was successful, but it was a good way to try. Sure. But I, I think beyond that, um, you know, you have the so the basic Stadia model was you could buy a game on the platform. You then own the rights to play the game on the platform. And depending whether or not you subscribe to Stadia Pro, which I think is 10 bucks a month, right, Tom? Yep. Yep. Uh, you would get better streaming quality, better audio quality, things like that. And Otherwise, some, and some free games too. Yeah, they they've also thrown in free games at that. Um, they had a few at launch, but it was there weren't so many. But I think they're from, they're like Microsoft or Sony free games. They can disappear at any time, right? Yes. If you yes, every month they would add new games to the service, and then you claim them. And if you claim them, you can access them as long as you're subscribed. Yeah. But after certain time period like they remove it and they add new games so like right now you could if you subscribe to stadia pro you can just claim like 50 games right now yeah right. got it so so this is more like a playstation plus type of thing where right. every month they have four or five free games you add them to your account they're always on your account but you can only play them if you're subscribed whereas uh like xbox game pass that's more like netflix you just go on the service whatever's available you play you don't have a library per se. So, 
you know, these are slightly different ways of doing the subscription model. But I also think Google was kind of banking on, hey, if this does well, we now have a bunch of these people that are paying us every month. Sure. Versus, yeah, just relying on, like you said, hardware sales or Google's traditional ad-based income model. I want to go back to what you said about Google's history of abandoning products. Uh, Go for it. Google only drops products that have low user engagement. I'm sorry if you loved Inbox. Not enough people like to I use did. it. That was uh, my perf- that was my so favorite. many of us did, Tom. And, and if you go and there are websites that have direct comparisons, Microsoft has abandoned more products than Google by sure. far. But everybody just it seems like Google dropped their favorite thing. For me, it was Google Reader. You know, it's like I love also, that. My Why did they have to get rid of that? Well, they got rid of it because not very many people loved it. Right. So, you know, I, it's I, not I like Google wants to make everybody unhappy. No, well, no, of course not. Nobody at Google wants to create this, you know, this feeling that a lot of people have with their products. But I think going on that, I feel like a lot of the products Microsoft discontinues and, you know, correct me if I'm wrong here are typically niche products. A lot of them are like, here's this thing for this one little small amount of people that are developing this type of product or well, using this type of like thing. Inbox. But, okay. <laughs> I mean, look, the comparison would be that, like, imagine if Microsoft, like, launched the first Xbox, it didn't go exactly how they planned, and then they dropped it in, like, you know, after two years. There'd be no 360, right. there'd be no one, there'd be no Series X, there would be no Xbox brand. You know, like pretty much Google just saw like, oh, we're not doing the numbers we expected to do when we put a bunch of money into video game development. So uh, we're just kind of like getting Microsoft out of it. did with Windows Phone. It just wasn't there. There was nothing more they could do to fix it or so they thought. So they just killed it. Yeah, I mean, more or less, because, you know, next in this, you know, sort of history of Stadia after they finally got the apps rolled out and it it felt like by the time the PS5 and and Xbox Series X and S launched, Stadia wasn't all that exciting, but at least the platform was mature enough to be usable in in many cases on, on several devices. And then I felt like out of nowhere in February, Stadia Games and Entertainment shuts down and there goes their first party studios. And it hasn't even been two years since the thing was first showed off at GDC at that point. So I don't I mean, maybe part of that was because Jade Raymond left. I don't I don't know all the, you know, behind the scenes stuff. Maybe there were some disagreements back there that, you know, they they couldn't come to terms on and they just decided the parting ways was best. But I feel like they should have replaced whoever left with somebody else. I know you sure it was money. It's always money. Yeah, I'm sure it was. It's just, it's... (laughs) They realized that we can't make money by making games, so screw it. We'll let somebody else make the games. Yeah, I don't know. And part of it also make, you know, I I also wonder if this thing was doomed from the get-go because Google made it. Like, what if they had announced it, I don't know, from somebody else? Just really any other company that was large enough to be able to do something like this. I, I feel like more people would have been willing to jump on board. Although I I don't know if, if large enough is the right term. Uh, 
you don't get much larger than Google, Apple, or Facebook. And none of those three companies have the ambitions of making AAA games. And I'm sure there's a common cause. And I'm not a businessman, but I know at the end of the day, it's probably money. So I have a thought on it. I think there's actually a comparison to make between Stadia and smartphone companies making deals with carriers because most game developers want to get their games on Sony, you know, Sony's consoles, Xbox consoles. Stadia literally had to pay tens of millions of dollars to get games like Red Dead Redemption 2 on the platform. So they had to hemorrhage money to get the games that you would expect just to be able to say you can play this without a console. But by the time they would get these games, they were running behind the companies that would get the games automatically. They get them by the time that other that Microsoft and Sony are selling it for 30, 40 bucks. They're charging full price. And how many games do you have to sell to make back $10 million? You know, I the, never thought of that. That's, that's smart. Yeah. You know, you know, and they, they were start stadia games and entertainment was just a, they had to know or else they were really naive that making a game takes years. You know, anything that they were going to make stadia needed to stand on its own before they would even have time to come out with anything from Jade Raymond. Cause a game nowadays takes four or five years. So my money's know, on really naive. It's possible. It, but, I just, I see, I don't know about that though, because you know, Stadia's vice president was Phil Harrison, who's been in the games industry for how long? Like, this is not a guy that just, <laughs> you know, walked off the boat. He's He's been doing this for a long time. He knows, he knows the business. Like, he knows that this took a while. Although his track record isn't that great. No, like he's been he's been at he's been at he's been at a lot of places. But like you start looking into it and you're like, eh. <laughs> you can see why this guy has had so many jobs is what you're saying, huh? I mean, that's not that's not wrong. I I, I definitely see what you're saying there. I, and maybe that's part of the problem, too. And I, I also wonder on the technology side of things, when they first announced Stadia, I know I thought they were going for this is effectively a Windows or a Linux machine that is running the games and then streaming them to you. Whereas this is actually designed more like a console in that you have to develop for it using the Stadia SDK. You can't just, you know, oh, let me drop the game on here and run it because it runs on Steam already. It does take some kind of work. It's not just plug and play. And I, I know I've seen a lot of comments about how their SDK is actually pretty good. And it doesn't seem like the, the port times for it are as long as maybe some other things. And part of that probably is because it's powerful. You know, it can do a lot of next-gen stuff. It has no issues rendering detail. Like, this is a powerful system behind all of this. So you have that side of things. If nothing, it's sort of like a PC in that way that it can brute force all of it, but I don't. I don't yeah, I've never. I'm, I'm sure it's custom hardware. Most of Google servers are, and I'm going to imagine that this is out there. And I'm saying something people already know, but I'm. I would guess that Google built something designed just, you know, a CPU that's good enough to drive a powerful, kick-ass GPU or a cluster of GPUs to play 
a bunch of instances of a game and stream them to people. Right. And the other, uh, I guess, facet of this that I'm just now thinking of looking at um, our review of it in 2021, there's a lot of exclusivity going on in the console race these days. This is is something that happened back in the 90s. You had, you know, your Nintendo, your Sony, your Sega side. They all had huge exclusives. Multi-platform games really weren't that common unless we're talking about Madden, you know, like it really wasn't super common to see a lot of those games on systems. And even then you'd end up with a, like a Lion King situation where it's totally different on Super NES versus Genesis or something like that. Like you don't just have, oh, well, here's Call of Duty. Pick whatever system you want to play it on. And Stadia only had two exclusive games in 2021, whereas you got Microsoft buying half the friggin industry to throw on Game Pass and Sony trying to play catch up. And then where does that leave Google? Yeah, Stadia never really had like a huge library, even from the start, but they never really had like, you know, when a console and an Xbox or PlayStation comes out or a Nintendo system, like they have, you know, first party title and say like, well, this is, you know, you buy the system, you get a game and um, like, here's what the console can do, because when the console launches, like there's like, you know, five, two to five games and like Stadia just never had like a game that you say like this is this is worth it. Like here right. are exclusive features that you can't do on other platforms. Yeah, and I I wonder if that would have been different if they held on a little longer. And I don't maybe they didn't start all the pieces in the right order. Maybe that's part of the problem too. And you know, just getting that development going before they even announced the platform. I mean, obviously they had some of that going or else they would have had zero games on the marketplace when they launched, right? But more of that exclusive development, more of those talks, um, you know, maybe even acquisitions ahead of time. And people were kind of wondering why the heck is Google acquiring this company that it doesn't have anything to do with what they're doing. You know, that probably would have been a better lead up if they were going to stick with this. I I wonder, and I don't know how Sony fits into this. I'll let you game guys kind of fill me in. It seems to me like Google and Microsoft are at opposite ends of the spectrum here. Microsoft is a company that built itself up on the back of office products, which sales are now in huge declines. And now Microsoft is basically an Xbox company. They know that they, they, they're doing a great job with that. In my opinion of integrating Xbox into every facet of your life that they can and they're they're doing a good job of making it worthwhile. Whereas Google, they just do a little bit of everything. And to them, gaming is just another thing in the basket over there. Now, I, I know there's companies, Sony and Nintendo, that fit in somewhere. And I don't pay enough attention to either one of those two companies to know how they fit in. But I, I wonder if that's corporate culture as a big play in all this. It's entirely possible. I mean, it. It makes sense to me, too. You you look at the two companies and, and they do operate quite differently. They have different means of income. You know, like we said before, Google is primarily ad based. So a lot of their priorities are how to get more ads on more devices, more of the time. Right. Whereas Microsoft doesn't really deal in that side. They have a lot of other interests that that they're invested in. And it it is interesting seeing how Xbox dominant Microsoft has become 
Because like Tom said before, you know, in the first few years of the original Xbox, gosh, what did they lose? Like $4.1 billion? Some. I mean, they lost a lot more (laughs) with the Xbox 360 with all the recalls. So, yeah. Yeah, like you had, imagine, you had, imagine spending, imagine launching a new console and then spending another billion fixing all those consoles. Yes, exactly. So it's that division was uh, not in good shape for a long time, and then you had the disaster that was the Xbox One launch. Yep. So Where they didn't focus on games, and they just said, "Oh, like you can watch TV on here," and everyone was like, <laughs> "Nobody, no, nobody cares. Like we want yeah. games. I can watch TV on the thing that you want me to plug this into." Right. Yeah, it was. They went through a lot of misses, but they stuck with it. And and that's something that's very interesting to see. And and it's kind of weird, too, because Google has done this with the Pixel line. I mean, the Pixel line has never made Google money. I don't think it ever will. It probably won't. And and that is another one. It's like, why do they stick with this? Because a lot of other areas, once we get to this point, if we ever even get to this point, they're done with it. I think because they need the pixel line to help them make money. They, Maybe it's they they need a way to showcase features that can be done on on a smartphone in order to try to keep people buying new smartphones to use those features so you can see more Google ads and they can make more money. Yeah, I I, I mean a I, pixel I phone makes sense to me. Uh Stadia doesn't make sense. There are no ads. Google is not making money the way they know how to make money with Stadia. Right. I'm I'm surprised they even tried it. And unless I'm Stadia dub- is the ad, you know, since we know that it is <laughs> now, into Google's now it is. I'm sure they're <laughs> gathering a lot of analytics from people that play Stadia. Maybe it's a way to show you ads for games you like. I don't know. Well, that was the idea between behind the like they put a bunch of money uh to get red dead 2 and some other games they saw the numbers and they were like ah these are not the numbers we projected and then in uh february 2021 they said uh we're done we're not gonna pump any more money into games and we're just gonna focus on the infrastructure yeah i mean they're still getting they still every year they say we're getting adding 100 new games but if you look at you know the new Stadia Pro games for this month. You have Merrick's Market, One Hand Clapping, Fogs, Nanotail Typing Chronicles. You know, it's the games that I've I've never heard of these and they're not really getting much traffic. And with something like Game Pass, you... I know know, a big fan of Nanotail Typing Chronicles is now banging out an angry email. I'm so sorry. I'm sure it's great. <laughs> I mean, most of the games that are being released are like B tier games. These games that like you went to the store and they were like thirty bucks new, or like, uh, like a lot of children's games actually. Yeah, it's, it's not really games like you look at Game Pass and you're like, oh yeah, I know Halo, I know Gears of War, right? Like, and then you see these other like indie titles that are coming out and they're on Game Pass that just kind of look cool, like oh. What's this unpacking? This seems all right. I, yeah. I think you hit a, a. You just listed two games that will never be on Stadia because Microsoft will never let them be on Stadia. Well, they're exclusive. They own it. Right. right. And and you on the other side, you've got what? Spider-Man and God of War. You'll never see those on Stadia. Google is stuck in the middle and they realize they can't afford to make their own games. What are they going to do? 
in fairness to Stadia, I, I want to get Tom's opinion on this, but before I, I canceled Stadia because I just wasn't using it, Stadia's streaming quality was always pretty darn good for me. I mean, even compared to Game Pass's streaming, which always seems to be rather glitchy, you get lots of issues with it sort of just dropping things and losing your inputs and things sometimes like that stadia always worked it's just that i had trouble finding games i wanted to play or pay for you know and i guess that is a point in its favor that if google is going to be selling it to other companies they have a good product to sell and you have loyal stadia users who will comment on our article saying stadia is having problems saying stadia is great what are you talking about i use it all the time Man, I look at that. I've I've been looking at the subreddit for the past couple months, and it's just like I'm slowly seeing just the tide turn, and like people like posting stuff, and then other people in the comments going like, "No, you're wrong." Like <laughs> there are people who know. Um, but yeah, you're right. Like I've I've done Game Pass in the cloud. It's of a lower quality than Stadia, but there's really no games you would want to play on Stadia. It works. And that's what they're. That's what Google is doing with this, um, you know, uh, calling the infrastructure now Google Stream, right? And they're shopping it out, and they're saying, "Hey, here's a proof of concept that works. We can, you know, you're in charge of the content. We'll be behind it, and you can push, um, you know, your games, your, you know, whatever established IP you have, and you can uh, give it to your customers. You know, last October, you know, they had a deal." Google had to deal with AT&T and uh, AT&T wireless customers could play uh, Batman Arkham uh, Knight, I believe, um, on the website for free. You just sign into your AT&T account and you can just play on the PC. No problem. There's no Stadia sign in. There was no uh, mention of Stadia at all. And then the report uh, earlier this month uh, revealed that... um, you know, Google was in talks with Peloton. You know, they released a they released a closed beta of a game for their fitness bicycles. They were in talks with Bungie uh, because Bungie wanted their own streaming platform, probably for Destiny 2. And then they were in talks with Capcom to host their game demos on Capcom's website. Yeah, now that, that would be a really interesting use of the tech for me. And... I'd be curious to see if, you know, after all the Bungie stuff with Sony lately, if those plans are changing. I mean, nobody knows with Bungie, but it just kind of made sense that like, well, I mean, if Bungie wanted to put Destiny 2 on like a Nintendo Switch or mobile, you know, you'd get a cloud platform to push it through. Like, you know, a lot of these games on Switch where it's like, oh, here's here's Kingdom Hearts, the cloud version. Right. You know. Or, yeah. or uh, I didn't run very well. <laughs> yeah, you have Dying Light 2 is the same way, right? Isn't it cloud rendered on Switch? I believe. Yeah, so that, that's that's definitely picking up. And I think we'll see that more, especially on these portable, you know, lower power devices, things like that. Um, Steam Deck. <laughs> St- yeah, Steam. Oh. Powered by Stadia. <laughs> there you go. I, although <laughs> Steam Deck is interesting just because of the hardware inside it and how people are using emulation and several other ways of making it running better on, you know, what would otherwise just be a a pretty cool mobile platform. They're trying to get 
bigger PC games to to run on it better. But I don't I don't want to go too far down that rabbit hole because that's an easy yeah. one to fall into. Yeah. What I want to know is um, so when they first announced Stadia, they really showed it off as sort of a more social way to to play games in that you could stream, you know, easily stream your gameplay to YouTube. You could easily invite friends to play while people are watching your stream. They can click a button and, you know, jump into your session if, you know, obviously it makes sense for the game. So did we get any of that in the last two years or did that just kind of quietly die? It didn't really quietly die. It just got slowly. Uh, like some games would do it, but it just was never it was just never pushed as like a selling point because I think the most recent game was like Doom Eternal had something like that. And it was just like, oh, yeah, it has it. It's like, OK, like here's this, you know, two year old, three year old game. That like has a thing. I, I actually had somebody try to explain this to me, and and it ties into those extra features that were like for YouTube streamers. It the the reason that technically Stadia seems better than XPass has to do with the compression algorithms. Uh, if you've ever noticed, a YouTube 4K video uses a lot less internet bandwidth than a Netflix 4K video. And arguably, the picture looks just as good. It, it should. It's supposed to be 4K. That's something that Google does with the compression at their end and the decompression at your end. And Stadia uses a very similar tech uh, that did not play well with features like jumping into games and having you know viewers of your live stream you know, interact that it just didn't work the way they thought it would. Really, it sucks because that was that was such a cool part of the platform. And I think that was one that really could have have made it a better seller if they had gotten that working and, and actually rolled it out. I feel like it could have been successful. It may have been worth degrading the stream quality, actually, if if enough people wanted those features. But ultimately, they just weren't. It, it didn't work the way they thought it would. I mean, there are games that, you know, you YouTube streamers can play and it's like, oh, yeah. have the audience like choose, you know, what you want to do next or choose a power for you or uh, join in right from the right from. Yeah. And I, I know right from you, a button, you, but like you look at the games that you can do, it's like Baldur's Gate 3, Dragon Ball Universe 2, Monster Boy and the Cursed Kingdom, like uh, Serious Sam 4. Like, these are not really games that you're like, ah, yes, my favorite streamer is playing Olympic Games Tokyo 2020, (laughs) the official video game, you know, like, I want to let me pole vault. Uh, You know, these games, it's only about like 20 games, like, uh, like two dozen games that can have these features like that. And then uh, State Share and Stream Connect, which I mean, Stream Connect is you see you know, if you're playing a multiplayer game, you see the screens of your players, of your teammates, like on the side. Like only a few video games do that, and it's mostly Ubisoft games. And then uh, State Share, which is basically like you record, like you you have like a certain run of a video, like you have a run, and you want to record it. You just take a picture, or you have a video clip, and then you share it. And then anyone could just jump right into that direct instance 
and like yeah. play, you know, play differently than you, but still like the parameters you set for that, you know, game type, like you can just jump right in. But it's not really much. Not really many games took advantage of it. I wonder if that's something that the game developers would have to bake in. And maybe that's, that's why. That's that's what it would be. Yes, for sure. And and I I also, you know, that that goes back to the first party thing. If they had stuck with that more and they had put maybe some more planning into it, I imagine we would have seen more along those lines. It's it's just gosh, it's, I've, it's such a crying shame because I feel like the platform is is has so much promise, and what they have really is good. So I don't may, maybe the you know white labeling it and all that will actually make it useful. It won't be a total loss for Google or you know for us as consumers. Maybe we'll get something cool out of it too by the end. Uh, let Let's talk about us as consumers. It's it's fine to you know, be somebody who works for a tech website and care about, you know, game development teams and changes in leaderships and stuff. But if you're just an, an average person who wants to be able to play video games in their television and doesn't want to spend in, insane amounts of time and money to try to find a new, you know, next gen console, current gen, are we still calling them next gen, whatever? Is, if you can't find a PS5, <laughs> yes, you are. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, Stadia works, and it works really good, and it comes down to the same thing. You know, which do you choose, Xbox or PlayStation? You base it on the games it has, and that's where Stadia has a problem. Right. Yeah, of course, because the tech was always, tech always worked. Tech was fine. It's just that it didn't. Stadia didn't have the library, and you're asking people to spend, you know, full price on these games that, you know, they're not released physically. They're not, you know, they're tied to they're just they're they're just licenses tied to Google. And if you know, because everybody knows how Google is, you're like, how you know, like how long is this going to last? Like, you know, people have said for you know probably what now close to like two decades about Steam. Like, oh, what if Steam goes away? Like, what happens to all my games? Right. But like. I don't know. <laughs> Steam is in a much better place than like Google. That's sure. why GeForce Now is still just chugging along and doing fine because you just use that and you use your Steam library as right. long as it's supported. And that'll keep being popular with people that don't want to keep buying new PCs but keep wanna playing whatever games are coming out. You know, and, and it means you're not spending full price on games because you can just use Steam sales. So you're only paying for GeForce now and it's using your extended game library, which you could play elsewhere. Whereas Stadia, like you buy a game, you can only use it on Stadia. If it goes away, well, where's it going to go? Who knows? I, I remember I got in on the very first closed beta for Stadia. And that's when, oh, the Assassin's Creed that was in Greece. What the hell? Odyssey. Is in, yeah. Odyssey, yeah. Because I, I was in that closed beta as well. It played really well because yes, I did. bought it on PC to compare it. And no, it didn't look as good as it did on a $4,000 PC. You could tell there was compression. Right. But it looked really good. I could grab a cheap-ass Chromebook and play Assassin's Creed, you said Odyssey, Assassin's Creed Odyssey, and it was 90% as good as it was on a stupidly expensive gaming PC. That got me hyped that this is pretty cool. 
Right. And if you're playing that on a phone, you will literally never notice that difference. Oh, because, hell yeah. You, yeah. And you that, barely notice the difference on a cheap Chromebook. Right. Yeah. It, the size of the display absolutely will, will change your perception on that. But I don't know. I mean, <laughs> what was, what was Stadia, I guess? Yeah. I, um, I, I wouldn't recommend buying into Stadia and waiting for the next Assassin's Creed game because that's really the only AAA title you're guaranteed to get. Well, it's Ubisoft. Ubisoft yeah. is the only company that has really kind of put their weight behind Stadia because, well, they have enough manpower and enough money and enough studios to say, yeah, just, you know, just, you know, plop out a Stadia port and uh, like, oh, yeah, here's Far Cry 6. It only runs at 30 frames a second. Right. like the xbox one and ps4 versions but like hey we're on stadia like push it maybe we'll do a 60 uh fps patch later yep exactly and that's where google comes in they'll they'll look and see how many people bought it if enough people want it then they can go to ubisoft and say hey well if you they're did not. this yeah <laughs> they're done they said we're done <laughs> yeah i know like <laughs> ubisoft ubisoft are on their own like they're just they're just pushing games and now google is just like okay like developers you know, because last year they said, "Hey, they uh, they changed their uh, their revenue stream for the developers and let them get a bit more." But other than that, it's just like, yeah. "Hey, we'll support you if you want, but like, we're not we're not investing any more money into Stadia." Right, and it this kind of reminds me a little bit of the Android Things project. Um, yeah, I mean, they abandoned that. I think it was in 2020. And, you know, that was, it's not quite gotten to this point on Stadia yet, although I'm expecting it to eventually. But with Android things, Google basically said, all right, um, we're done with this platform. We're going to hold your data for the next two years. And uh, if you don't migrate it over, well, you're SOL. Yeah, and that's what happens when your project gets zero adoption. Right. So I don't know how many developers got affected by that. I'm not sure if it's more or less than Stadia. I mean, it's, it's. It's kind of hard to tell when you aren't given any real numbers to begin with. Like we have, really have no idea how many people used uh, Android things. I, I used it. I built my own Google Home, and it was easy to use. And of course, I didn't build anything to try to sell to anyone. Sure, I just wanted to play with the platform itself. It was easy to use. It. It, it worked as advertised, not not any better than advertised. I think what killed it is people didn't want Google to be the middleman. And I can't blame anybody for that. Right. And I, you know, I think outside of white labeling, the only other place Stadia tech probably has to go is in Google's upcoming AR, VR headset, whatever they do with it, which I think we, we talked about a couple of weeks ago when, when that debuted. I don't think Google Stadia is going to disappear anytime soon. No, the tech the tech is, I feel like, too mature to just trash it. There's no way they're going to do well, that. They'll, that. They'll adopt and, it to something else. Well, they're, they're selling the tech now. Right. They're going, they, 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 have the, they have the infrastructure. They're going to use it no matter what. The gaming platform side of it, they're done. Yeah, but, but I don't think it's going to go away for current customers anytime soon. No. Because they are paying customers. And, right. you know, you you agree to terms that say the service can be shut down at any time. And, you know, if if you live here, here, or here, you, 
you know, whatever you get when we shut down will be mediated through this third party, that third party. But it would cost Google a lot of money to get rid of Stadia. Even though you agreed that Google still owns it and they can take it away from you at any time, that's not universal. And Google knows that, you know, it's going to cost us money to get out. Maybe we lose more money each year than it would cost us. But it's a lot of bad press and, and you know, ill feelings that Google's going to generate. And sometimes it's worth spending a few billion a year to keep that from happening. There you go. All right. So let's go ahead and take a little quick break. And uh, we will be right back to talk some PSVR 2, some Galaxy Tab S8 stuff, and whatever Motorola just announced. You're successful in business because you love doing the research, whether it's the state of the market or the next right hire. But when you're low on hours and you still want to do a great job on hiring, who do you go to for help? It's time for Indeed. Simply put, if you're hiring, you need Indeed. Because Indeed is the hiring partner where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. And Indeed is the only job site where you're guaranteed to find quality applications that meet your must-have requirements or else you don't pay. Isn't that music to your ears these days? Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites hoping to find candidates with the right skills, you need one powerful hiring partner that can help you do it all. Indeed partners with you on every step of the hiring process. Find great talent through time-saving tools like Indeed Instant Match, assessments, and virtual interviews. With Instant Match, as soon as you sponsor a post, you get a short list of quality candidates with resumes on Indeed that match your job description, and you can invite them to apply right away. Plus, you only pay for quality applicants that meet your must-have requirements. Indeed makes it easy to hire great talent. According to Comscore, Indeed is the number one job site worldwide. And Indeed delivers four times more hires than all of the job sites combined, according to Talent Nest in 2019. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job posts at Indeed.com ACP. Offer valid through March 31st. That's ACP like Android Central Podcast. Go to Indeed.com ACP to claim your $75 credit before March 31st. That's Indeed.com ACP. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Alrighty, and we are back. Thanks for sticking with us. Hope you enjoyed the Stadia chat. We're going to move on to PSVR 2. So Sony actually finally revealed the headset, and it looks a bit like the original PSVR. The controllers, they actually added uh, some white casing on the outside. They look a lot more like a PS5 controller than the original reveal looked like. You have the four cameras in the front. The thing is generally smaller. They said it's lighter. It definitely looks a lot more sleek than the original PSVR headset. Um, one of the things that I really loved that they sort of highlighted in this announcement was that they worked on making sure that there's ventilation between your face, like where it connects to your face, the um <laughs> the rubber, I can't even think of the word. Good job. <laughs> that where the basically the the interface connects to your face, and then you know that space in between the lenses on the first PSVR and a lot of other initial VR headsets, 2016, 2018, 
there was no airflow in there. So as soon as you put it on, no matter if it's hot or cold outside, those lenses fogged. It's like walking out of a cold house into the hot weather or vice versa. You know, it's it's the same deal. It's like that took forever to get solved on several headsets. And even like the Quest 2 did that a little better at launch, but it took until a year or so later when we got some third-party redesigns of the facial interface to, to finally fix that. So it's nice to see them, you know, put that in there from the get-go. Whereas I think the most disappointing thing from this picture or the pictures that we have of it is that that cable is most definitely secured in that headset and it is not being replaced. Because I know a lot of the uh, early rumors were that basically this would be a connectable cable, like a USB type C port or something like that. And you'd be able to unplug it and plug like a wireless module or something in there. So I don't know. Based on what we see here, I'm pretty sure that dream's dead. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. uh, I don't I don't think we're we're getting past that one. Good. I'm sorry. You you're better off. I know it sucks to have to be connected over a wire, especially in VR. But the degradation of having wireless 4K transmission that's got to be fast enough to you know have acceptable latency, you'd be sick as a dog by the time you're done playing. Yeah, it would just be puking everywhere. It depends. I guess it just really depends on how they do it. Because if they did it more like um, the Vive did it back in, I think it was 2017 or 2018 when they released their wireless adapter, it would be fine because it's got, you know, the the wide gig receiver on one end. And, you know, that was purpose built to be in the room with the thing. Whereas if you're just using Wi-Fi, well, I mean, I don't have a problem at you know my house because I've got a good Wi-Fi six router, but, but you're you're also not trying to transmit from a graphics adapter to a screen in front of your eyes wirelessly. Well, your but that's what I'm saying. Adapter I, is built into the headset, right? Like I I can play PC VR games wirelessly through my Wi-Fi on a Quest Two, and it's fine. But I'm also in a house that's not right next to other houses. So I don't have, you know, like maybe somebody in an apartment has 15 different SSIDs floating around taking up channels. There are just a lot of variables. I, I, I just I know the trouble that HTC went through because we're really good friends with uh, one of the leads on the, the Vive team. And that's something they worked hard on for years to make happen. Right. And I heard about a lot of the the troubles and the reasons why you, you don't want that in its current state. And I just, you know, a PS5 is pretty powerful. And, you know, I don't know about a PSVR 2, what kind of hardware is inside the unit itself. But I think Sony probably made the right call. Maybe the next design is when you want to see wireless. Yeah, because they're going to have eye tracking and several other things. And it's probably just too much data to pass through reliably. You know, like I said, especially if you're trying to piggyback off of Wi-Fi or something like that. So I don't know. Yeah. Like you said, maybe maybe the next one, it would be nice. But oh, well. All right. So we're going to pivot off of gaming. And Michael got well, I his... want to say something real quick about the yeah, PS, go ahead, go ahead. PSVR 2. You, you probably, if you like VR games, you'll probably like it, especially, you know, you like your PlayStation. 
this is one of those products you want to buy from a store that'll give you a 30 day, you know, try it period. And you can still take it back because especially if this is your first foray into VR, VR is funny. VR does not agree with a lot of people and this is not going to be cheap. So if you can get it from Amazon or something and have a 30 day return, that's probably the best way to buy it. Right. And we still don't have a release date or a price. So, yeah, it's not going to be cheap that much. We do. know. Yeah, it's one thing I wanted to quickly throw in, too, before yeah, yeah, we go move ahead. on. Um, what I like is that this is completely different from the Quest 2 in my mind and that it's going to need accessories a lot less. The Quest 2 is cheaper, but everyone who's used it knows you really you right. buy it and then you got to buy a face cover. You got to buy a better strap. You got to fix it because it's just not actually that comfortable. But Sony very clearly, you know, it has the venting that you need. It is not using foam unless I'm misreading the images they put no, there. It so it's not going like to cause it. face rashes. It's going to be, <laughs> and it has the, you know, the knob on the back to be fit. And it also seems like you can adjust the angle of it, you know, depending on how you, right. you want your eyes to be looking at it, which is something that the Kiwi strap does and you liked. So I, I just think it's going to be more expensive, but you're also not going to then have to spend $200 on accessories to make it usable. Yeah, so and it also has an IPD wheel. So most likely it will fit a wider range of people than the Quest 2 does. Right. So that's good. I'm optimistic yeah. seeing it. And that's such Even a huge I'm, improvement yeah. over the original. Ugh, IPD adjustment on the original PSVRs. It's a nightmare. You got to go through like five or six different menus and then you got to take a picture yeah. And then you got to move the little things to your iris, you know, in both pictures every single time you want to adjust the IPD. So there's pretty much no headset sharing. I, I went through all that the <laughs> first and only time I tried it. I, I went through all that and five minutes later I was sick. I had to take it off. It just me and VR don't get along unless it's really, really high frame rate VR. PSVR is also a little weird, too, because it, it has more of a fisheye effect than than other headsets. The motion is a, a little different. I, I don't even know how to describe why the motion is different. It's just, it's unnatural for some reason. It, it just doesn't move the same. Like if you use a Quest 2, you'll know immediately what the difference is. Am I crazy in thinking that the PSVR reminded me a lot of Samsung's Gear VR? Um, The way it looked and the way it made my head and stomach feel. It's been too long since I've used Gear VR, honestly. I can't remember. Uh, maybe I'll, I'll just go with maybe <laughs> most likely because it was a phone. So yeah, I just, it, well, it, it, it hit me in ways. The original Oculus quest and the HTC Vive didn't. Right. Yeah. That's, that's very feasible. Okay. Well, um, all right, Michael, do you want to take us into your tab S eight? I guess you yeah. don't have to go over the whole review, but maybe just some impressions. Right. No, what you, you have like to read dislike. the review word for word, what you've got <laughs> well, right now. <laughs> unfortunately for all of you, it's not done yet. It'll be published <laughs> on Saturday, but I can give you the highlights. I mean, first thing is that Samsung didn't mess with a good thing with the Tab S8 because the Tab S7 and S7 Plus were very good tablets. That didn't change. So, you know, you have a faster processor, obviously, but you have the exact same display. You got the 120 hertz refresh rate. You know, with the S8, you have just the LCD, which is not as pretty in terms of colors, but does get brighter. And then with the S8 Plus, you get the AMOLED and you get, you know, slightly better resolution. You get 
it's lower latency for the S Pen, so it's 2.8 milliseconds, the same as the S22 Ultra. It's just, it's like writing on paper. There's no delay at all, which is really nice. You know, the the selfie camera for zooming with people has been slightly upgraded. It's wider and better resolution, so you look good using that. But the battery life is exactly the same. Same quad speakers as before. Sound great. You got the you know the on-display fingerprint sensor, and you go from Wi-Fi six to Wi-Fi six E. So it's not a huge difference. The weight is exactly the same, and you know, I'm scared to talk about benchmarks in front of Jerry. But uh, <laughs> you know, the Snapdragon eight Gen one is not. It's not a, a huge of a change. It seems to me as. Qualcomm was promising. It's better than the 865 that was in the 2020 tablet, so that's good. It's it's fast. It it is quite fast. That hasn't changed, but it's not blazingly fast. I'm not sure if you have the S7, you need to make a change because what really matters is One UI 4. It's the software changes that have really made it a different experience, and you, I think, already have that with the S7, and it's still going to work. So you don't necessarily need to upgrade considering so much of it is the same. But what really matters is that the the Tab S7 was a great Android tablet, but Android tablets aren't great because of the software. It's just you take a phone app and you spread it out over 11 inches or 12 inches, and it's just incredibly blown up. And that hasn't really changed. You open Twitter or something, and it's absurd just... You got, you know, people's tweets stretched out really wide. And that, that, that doesn't really make up for a better computing or a better browsing yeah, it's, experience. Yeah, it's the issue you have on a fold, just, you know, twice the size of that screen. Do you know right. what's really sad? I, I mean, and Michael, you've, if you open Gmail or Samsung's first party apps, they're so much better on those bigger yeah. screens. All that's built into the software people use to write Android apps. It's just built in, and, and it doesn't appear to be that difficult, speaking as a layman. Uh, and, and Google says it's not that difficult, and they give a million examples, and yet developers just won't do it. Yeah, and that hasn't changed. So I think the good thing is just that you know the Android actual hardware developers and software developers are taking it into their own hands and just splitting the apps up into smaller portions of the screen with One UI 4 and then upcoming Android 12L. So you just take the S Pen, you drag an app, one of your favorite apps from the pinned dock, and you just plop it on the screen, and it takes up a half or a third of the display. And you can just be watching YouTube on two-thirds of the screen and taking notes in the other third, or, or Zoom, or Slack, or Tweet. You know, whatever your favorite apps are, you just swipe out from the right of the screen and there are all of your favorite apps and then you just drag and drop and you can also pin specific apps on top of a full screen app and then minimize it so just you know you're watching something and then you just really quickly want to respond to a message tap it it pops up you type your response and then just make it go away it's really convenient and it makes using an android tablet a lot better than it was a year ago so, you know, that's great. But again, if you already have the S7 series, I don't know if you need to upgrade. But if you don't have one, get the new one. because Yeah, of course. Yeah. But the cost, too. It, yeah. These things are expensive. And 
I don't know that I, I like the S7 Plus. And like you, I don't like Android tablets. But I thought Samsung did a really good job with what they had available to them. Yeah, and that was my general thought when I had my, you know, brief hands-on with it in New York a few weeks ago. Because everything here seems to be what I would want in an Android tablet. You know, the great hardware. It's got a lot of great OS features. It's just, you know, like you said, we were kind of still waiting on the apps to figure it out. <laughs> I, I would, you know what I would really like to see Android do for tablets is give some desktop class software. Let them run desktop web browser, a desktop version of all the Google Office docs. Uh, especially something like the you know tab s8 plus it's you you know if you buy it you're probably going to buy the keyboard accessory so you you've got essentially a little laptop there you know google should allow certain things to run inside android that would you know work with that in mind and I, i'm not sure why they don't do it hey there, there's your uh there's your stadia streaming just stream desktop apps apps yeah <laughs> your tablet <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know, maybe because it encroaches on what they're trying to do with Chrome, which is the opposite. Chrome is Google's desktop operating system, and they threw Android apps in the mix. Maybe they don't want the two to get that close to each other. I don't know, but I know the uh, shoot. We've had a a tab here. My wife really loves them since the S4. She had the S4 for a while, then the S6, and then a. Uh, Bought an S7 Plus, but it had to go back. It died, unfortunately. So she's back on her S6. And I just wish that some of the things that she likes to do, you know, could be closer to what she does on a laptop instead of a tablet. Yeah. Hey, you have Dex mode, and it's popular with some people, but in the end, it's still just yeah a different organizational system for the same apps. Right. Yeah, I... I thought for a long time they were just going to ditch Android on the tablet side and go all Chrome OS. And I'm really surprised that that didn't happen. I mean, I, I, I'll bet that's what Google wanted and they just didn't get it. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe everyone else is like, nah, we already put too much work into this. We're not changing now. I'm not sure. Well, I mean, in, in any case. Um, all right. So the last bit of news I wanted to cover was Motorola's new announcement, which is the Motorola Edge Plus 2022. <laughs> this is the, I guess, US version of the Edge X30 that was recently launched in China. It has all the trappings of a high-end phone. It's basically the opposite of what Motorola has done for the last, oh, I don't know, 15 months, something like that. It's a thousand bucks. Um, I also thought it was interesting that it, ships well it doesn't ship with but you can buy a stylus and a folio case and the stylus will charge so it's an active stylus it will charge while it's in the folio case you know attached to the phone and that's similar to a note especially with the price tag just with it being an external accessory which you know i wrote uh i wrote an editorial this week talking about how I liked the bigger S pens and I would rather just have a case with the S pen in it versus, you know, it being in the phone and making the battery smaller and whatever else. And 
I got a lot of comments saying I'm crazy, which is fine. I, I don't, you don't have to agree with me. It doesn't bother me a bit, but I thought it was interesting that basically what I said I wanted in that article is what Motorola announced today. You know, I'm going to come right out and say it. If you spend a thousand dollars for anything that says Motorola on the back of it, you need your head examined. That was the next this part. Is, this is like buying a brand new car that only has a six month warranty and you don't even get free oil changes. Motorola does not support their products, period. Yeah. So they <laughs> it's it's I mean, it's hard to even try to to put that in a positive light because they have such a rough history with that. And there has been more than one occasion recently where they've said, hey, we're offering two years of software updates, three years of security updates. They promise that with this phone and several other ones that are coming out. They have some interesting additions onto Android 12, including more customization than anybody else is allowing, which I like a lot. And I know there are people that love Motorola's, you know, sort of vanilla is not the right word, but definitely less heavy skin than a lot of other manufacturers. But yeah, I don't know. I... I don't want to talk out of both sides of my mouth because we have been complaining that Motorola's, you know, product portfolio, especially in 2021, was just boring. It felt like they were just re-releasing the same phone over and over again with a slightly different price tag or feature set and calling it a day. Boring is fine when it's cheap, utilitarian, and well-supported. I love boring and and that fits that that, that set of needs. A lot of people don't want to spend more than $300 on a phone. Motorola is there for you, baby. I wish their products were supported better, but they're not. But it's only 300 bucks. This is $1,000. Right. That's Galaxy S22 territory. Yeah, that's a Galaxy S22 Plus right there. And there's, there's no time on earth that I would recommend this over an S22 Plus. It's just not, it's not happening. So I don't, I don't know. It's. It's tough to know who this is for other than maybe to just satisfy us saying, hey, we want a flagship from Motorola again. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm sure that there are people out there who love Motorola products and think that I'm an asshole. And that's fine because, well, I am. But I, I also, you know, I'm, I'm cool with people buying what they love. But if... You know, you're even thinking about it. Make sure you think about all the money you're spending on something that will probably not get supported in any way, shape, or form that you like. If you see a bug on this thing when you take it out of the box, you're going to be living with that bug for six months. Yeah, most likely. And that that, that was a lot like um, TCL's phones, too. You know, right. TCL had a similar value proposition. They are less expensive phones. They generally offer a pretty darn good bang for the buck. But for the most part, you're not getting updates like you would on, you know, like a, obviously a Samsung phone for sure. But even some of the other manufacturers like the, the TCL 20 I have here, I think it's only had one security update since it was released. Which is a crying shame. And I hate that. But I realize that it's not important to a lot of people. Right. But what What is important to a lot of people is the the phone does what it was promised to do. And if it doesn't, and if it's some sort of software glitch, you're screwed. Motorola does not care. Yep, basically. Yep. 
All right. Well, I mean, I don't I don't know how much more can be said about that. Maybe we can get into it further as we get closer to release. One of us gets our hands hey, on the Hey, you know thing. what? Prove me wrong, Motorola. I will be so happy to sit here and eat my own words and say, yep, I was wrong. This is a great product, and Motorola stands behind it 100%. Please, please, please. Yep, yeah, I, I totally, totally want to see that. All right, so we're going to take one final break, and we're going to come back and talk about the OnePlus 10 um, durability test. Yes, we'll go with that. Do you know why free trials renew without your consent? It's a business scam out to get you. Don't let those greedy corporations pocket your money. Download Truebill to take control of your subscriptions. Truebill is the new app that helps you identify and stop paying for subscriptions you don't need, want, or simply forgot about. On average, people save up to 720 bucks a year with Truebill. Because companies make subscriptions hard to cancel, Truebill makes it incredibly simple. Just link your accounts and Truebill will cancel your unwanted subscriptions in just one tap. And your Truebill concierge is there when you need them to cancel unwanted subscriptions so you don't have to. Look, we know everything has a subscription these days. It's kind of ridiculous, really, which is exactly where Truebill comes into play. Here are some crazy examples you just might relate to. Maybe your ex is still using your Netflix account. One woman found exactly that after she downloaded Truebill and put a stop to that nonsense right away. Maybe you signed up for a bunch of services during the pandemic and you find that you don't really need to watch the entire Disney Plus catalog anymore. Truebill can help with that too. Or how about those subscription services that make you call a number, speak with someone who never seems to want to listen to your requests and still can't seem to cancel the thing? Truebill also helps with that. Truebill can help you create a budget to better manage your money, give you hints about money-saving habit changes, track your credit score, and more. Best yet, Truebill is free to download and many of its best features are free to use. Truebill has over 2 million users and helped save them over 100 million bucks. Don't fall for subscription scams. Start canceling today at truebill.com slash ACP. That's ACP, like Android Central Podcast. Go right now, truebill.com slash ACP. It could save you thousands a year. truebill.com slash ACP. Now for the last segment of our show, we'll talk about OnePlus. Or maybe this is one minus for them. What do you think, Jerry? I think it's just par for the course for them <laughs> in some strange way. Yeah. So if you if you missed the news, um, the popular YouTuber, Jerrig Everything, um, you know, he likes to scratch phones up, bend them, break them, do all sorts of fun things with them. The OnePlus 10 Pro spectacularly failed the bend test, which, you know, all when you watch these kinds of channels, this is like doing a benchmark, okay? You got to kind of, Take it as what it is. This is not necessarily representative of a real world test. It's just more of a fun. Let's see how crazy we can be. And let's see how far we can put these things through until they break or something else happens to them. But man, this one, uh, well, it just it cracked right in half. (laughs) It was not a good look for a phone that already has been kind of in question from the launch. I mean, it had a very limited launch in the beginning. The announcement was a little strange around CES time frame. Well, I think what makes it even more comical to me is I, you know, Jerry Rig Everything is the channel name, but his name is Zach. Yes. If you follow Zach, you know that he has always liked OnePlus phones because they've always been sturdy 
and strong and well-built. And I can just picture him picking this up and thinking, oh, this is going to do well. This is really going to stand up well to my, oh, crap. And it's broken in his hands. <laughs> and I want to just, I want to hope that that's how that happened. I, like you said, based on the history, I I would imagine it was something like that. And I kind of feel like the, the 10 Pro is going to face a lot of these type of hurdles after it launches because you have the whole question around Oxygen OS and Color OS and what's going to happen with this. And there have been a lot of rumors and a lot of other things that are basically talking about how OnePlus seems to be falling apart. Yeah. And this kind of feels like that. You look at it and you're just like, well, that went... uh, Yeah, if you want to use the words falling apart, well, here's your picture. (laughs) Quite literally, right? (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. It it just seems like, you know, now that Carl Pei moved on, now that uh, OnePlus and Oppo have finally acknowledged that they are, you know, the same group and they're consolidating all sorts of things, it, it almost feels like this thing was an afterthought or a lot of other things were just dropped in the mix. And I don't, I don't know. It, it's a shame because I used to love this brand so much. I mean, I really, I still do. It's not, I don't dislike one plus at all. This just doesn't feel like a release that, uh, maybe will do so well. I, I, I get the feeling that it's like, Oh, it's a new year. We've got to release a new phone. Right. So, you know, they just kind of put out what they had. It's, you know, if you've got an, a, a OnePlus 9 and like it, I would say keep it for another year. You don't need this. Unless there's some, you know, particular feature in it that you really want to have. And I can't think of a single one that I would really want to have. Right. I mean, you know, unless it's that foldable screen. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and And to be fair, Zach is... He's got big hands. He works with his hands all day. And I don't care what phone you grab. He can probably snap it in half. Uh, to prove the point, I snapped a, remember the OnePlus or the LG V10? Yeah. I snapped one in half. Oh, interesting. I, I, I wheel myself around in a wheelchair all day and I've got large hands. I, I can, you know, you give me a piece of electronics, I can snap it in half. Uh this phone is probably more durable than this test would lead you to believe. It's not going to break in your pocket unless you like directly sit on it or something. But it's still, it's it's funny and it's not nearly as durable as any of the previous OnePlus phones. Right. And and I think that's that's the takeaway here, if anything, is this this seems to be less um of a release than OnePlus typically gives us. The other takeaway is buy cases for your phones, people. Ooh, yeah, that <laughs> cases made of stainless steel so they won't break in half. <laughs> that's that's what your uh, OtterBox, you know, dual form cases and all that stuff are for, right? You got all, got all the extra protection and bend protection and all that stuff in there. <laughs> uh, all right, well, it's been uh, it's been a good time chatting. I hope everybody enjoyed the show this week. If you can. Uh, Check us all out on Twitter. I'm at Guanatu. Jerry, what's your handle again? I can't ever remember. At GB Hill. G-B-H-I-L. Yes. Michael is just Michael L. Hicks, right? Underscores in between. Yep. Mr. Professional. That's right. And then uh, Tom, I don't know if you hit up Twitter all that much. If you want anybody to I, 
I do. It is uh, at Tom Myers, but it's like one M instead of two, and then a Z at the end. So, it's yeah. It's uh, I don't want to spell it all out, but I guess I have to because it's Meyer, and nobody knows how to spell Meyer, so it's M E Y E R. You're yeah. over here on the unprofessional side with Nick and I. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> not not nearly as bad as us, though. That's right. All right, cool. Well, two. Thanks, man. All right. We will chat at you next week. See you later, everybody. Adios. Bye. Bye-bye.